I'm Gigi Johnson, and this is Amplify Music Conversations, where we captured the voices and music panels from the Amplify Music 2021 virtual conference. Over the course of the panels, you'll hear more than 100 panelists from a wide variety of cities and countries, each working in their local communities to recover from the challenges and changes of the pandemic. You'll hear about new community models, collaborations, and ways of organizing, each recovering and transforming their own music environment. Hi, everybody. Um, Nice to be here. Thank you for the introduction, Gigi. Um, My name is Quande Capente, as noted. Uh, I'm now talking to you from the city of Ottawa, which is in Canada, in the province of Ontario, on the Unseen people. And I'm very happy to be on this panel speaking uh, about this very interesting uh, issue that connects uh, to a lot of my research, in particular, this whole question of centrality. Um, So my background, I am, as my background may indicate, I'm a DJ uh, and performer. I've been doing something called Time Code here in Ottawa for about 15 years, which has been an uh, underground and independent club night. Uh, And in addition to that, I've been working in cultural policy for the last 10 years, focused on, in particular, cultural industries uh, and the development of the music industry here, developing music research and a music strategy. And then I also have a research degree uh, in something called Space Syntax, which is a spatial theory and practice, which focuses on the quantitative analysis of social phenomena in space. And I use that to really research the spatialization of music industries. So for that reason, uh, the topic of this subject uh, or this panel uh, related to sort of the way that the music industry is going to be relocating as it relates to COVID is a particular interest. Hi, my name is Theo Ellis. Uh... My company is uh, ProSound Media. Uh, we're a rights management distribution uh, platform for artists. We're based out of the Detroit area. Um, I'm also uh, vice president of Digital Currency, which is a blockchain plat- distribution platform for musical artists as well. I'm also a student at the U of M uh, in the School of Management. And as part of my uh, curriculum there, I'll be heading up a research project this summer under the Economic Development Authority uh, to study the effects of uh, COVID-19 on the live music sector in Genesee County, uh, which is where the city of Flint is located. Uh, Some people may be familiar with Flint from it being in the headlines of their water crisis they had. That's kind of why I'm here uh, to, you know, lend my voice uh, from from the Midwest here. So glad to be here. Okay, thanks both. Um, so my name's Adam Bear. I am a senior lecturer in contemporary and popular music at Newcastle University. Uh, although I'm currently located, I'm talking to you from Edinburgh. Um, I work at Newcastle University, and due to the uh, the relocations and complications of of COVID, I have not actually uh, been able to be on the campus for uh, about a year now. So I am one of those people whose working practices have have changed. Uh, considerably due to the pandemic. Uh, My research is around cultural policy and the music industries, uh, particularly live. Uh, I've conducted uh, live music censuses of Edinburgh and was involved with colleagues at other universities in a UK live music census uh, and currently just wrapping up some mapping work uh, with colleagues in Birmingham. Uh, which is looking at the the sense uh, at the, the sort of changes and challenges of live music and live music ecosystems uh, post 2019, which we started before the pandemic, but obviously that's 
hugely impacted that project. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to hearing uh, about the, the context uh, from other places as well. Okay. Um, that's, yeah, there's lots of points of crossover already between our first two, uh, our first two panelists. And next we have, we have two Elizabeth C's. Yes, our name is Elizabeth Kalon. I am coming to you from the greatest music city on earth in my personal and also I think deeply factual opinion, um, Memphis, <laughs> Tennessee. Um, and I'm the founder and executive director of Music Export Memphis. Uh, we're celebrating five years this year. We are leverage public and private funds to serve as an export office for Memphis music. Um, so everything we do is about creating opportunity for the artists and musicians who live here in Memphis to do what they do uh, outside of our city, to get on the road, to tour, to showcase at festivals, and in all of that to represent our city um, and drive our reputation forward as a, a contemporary hub of culture. Um, the end goal is to make Memphis a city of choice for musicians because we believe that uh, that's how change happens. Um, is when uh, there is a music middle class that celebrates and, and wants to live in our city. Other stuff that fills my time, I also teach a course at Rhodes College here in Memphis called Music Urbanism, um, which I developed, which just explores the intersection of um, music and culture and the development of smart, healthy, equitable cities. And I spend a little bit of time every week at our community radio station, WYXR, uh, where I host a show dedicated to contemporary Memphis music um, and, and, and an aspiring, very amateur uh DJ like live event DJ as well. So um yeah. one day, mad respect, but that's okay. that's me. <laughs> that's cool. And I forgot to mention uh that what I do right now is that I'm also the executive director of my community radio station, uh CKCU FM, uh, which has a long and storied history uh here in Ottawa over uh approaching our 50th year in 2025. But anyway, uh, next we have Elizabeth Kieran, who now I'm realizing I've totally uh, cited your work several times. Well, I think I, I, there's unlikely to be two Elizabeth Curran yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. multiple industries without me knowing yeah. who the other one is. Um, we'd be fast friends. Uh, yeah, so my name is Elizabeth Curran Halkett. I am the James Irvine Chair in Urban and Regional Planning at the University of Southern California, where I'm also a professor of public policy. Uh, today's topic is really near and dear to me because I, you know, I study urban planning, so I'm very interested in place. But my research is in the cultural industry. So my first book was The World Hall Economy, which might be the one that you're talking about, because in particular there, I looked at the importance of you know, place and in-situ interactions for people who worked in the cultural industries. I've also studied the role of place, how it relates to celebrity and winner-take-all markets within the cultural industries. And more recently, I've worked on a book called The Sum of Small Things, where I actually looked mm -hmm. at how we consume culture and how our consumption of particular kinds of, of culture uh, indicates social position and impacts social and economic mobility. So I think actually a lot of this is very much... Um, wrapped up in geography. And I think COVID has really allowed us to think a lot about the role of place because we, you know, you know, 20 years ago, people were talking about the end of place because of information technology and COVID has reintroduced this idea of can we work anywhere? And I will posit that we can't, it's more complicated than that, but I'll, I'll leave it at that and just say, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. So thank you. for No, that. I mean, don't leave it at that. That's a good place to start it. 
in terms of in terms of you know where you're where you're positioning uh, uh, where you're positioning your uh, your thinking about the role of space in the industry and the vital role of it in the industry in terms of like you know the complexity of trying to remove it because I agree with you that you know part of uh, what you know my academic practice with respect to space syntax and looking at space from a qualitative in a qualitative way and social phenomena in space in terms of uh, configuration. And, uh, and and the ability to measure that configuration is that you know we use space space is a space is a material that we use to make society and so you know it's not that it, 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 the, the two things can't be separated because uh, we use one to make the other uh, and the, and our configuration and our relations to each other spatially uh, really are, are are critical in defining the relationships of the interaction that that really drive our economy and drive our music industries. And so going to that, speaking to that, and maybe, you know, I'll jump over to Adam uh, and just ask you in terms of, because you mentioned, again, the 2019 iteration of the survey that you were, that you were in the process of doing versus the, what, you know, what happened in 2020, obviously in 2019, we were using space as an industry in a normative way. We used it to, gather, we used it to make relationships, make connections, to drive the industry through relationships and co-presence. What do you think the effect of this COVID is going to be now when you're looking at it in 2020? And then how how do you think we have either like, how do you think it will reflect the way we've either mitigated or found new ways to use space? Uh, I, th- I think the, the most immediate effect, uh, certainly uh, around where I am, is uncertainty and people having to manage and work with that uncertainty so just to to give a a a detailed example that hopefully speaks to sort of bigger issues we we're not in in my city in edinburgh we're not yet at venues reopening but even then the venues are saying well particularly at the grassroots if this is supposed to be social distanced are they going to be be able to operate profitably at 20 30 percent capacity it's doubtful. Uncertainty has is, is, is been the first thing. The second thing, which is a little more optimistic, I guess, and, and to pick up uh, the point that Elizabeth made about um, people adapting, there's been a lot of talk of, of you know, the death of cities and, and everything's going to go out into the suburbs and stuff. And I think that the, um, the changes there that people will, will have to manage will be how culture can occupy spaces that change. So to some extent, what what the pandemic has done is acted as an accelerant for things that were happening anyway. Yeah. So retail yeah. moving online, for, for, for example. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of a lot of city center spaces in to that extent will struggle, may close. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that has to be these kind of dystopian boarded up former shops. Then there's space for culture to yeah, to move in there and and reconfigure uh, city centres. Elizabeth, I feel like this connects what 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 Adam was saying connects to your work. So I'm I'm going to ask you to jump in and, and maybe follow up there. Um, no, I think that uh, I, I think certainly um, the death of the rumors of the death of cities have been largely exaggerated. But but the idea of culture coming in to sort of change the the literal streetscape or to fill in where, you know, where we're seeing office, you know, office buildings become vacant. Um, it's, it's, 
interesting, right? I think that there is a, the the question that floats in my mind is just the question of capitalism um, and how we sort of continue to uh, fund those efforts or bring investment into our city centers when that has largely been driven by, you know, for-profit business. I mean, one thing that's happened here in Memphis, even during the pandemic, the one thing that didn't slow down was development, um, right. but it's been hotels, Largely, and we've actually had. Um, there's been two hotels that have opened in our in our downtown center, um, and I think that you know that is obviously deeply connected to the, the cultural space and the culture industry, particularly in a city like Memphis. That is the number one reason why people are coming to our city as tourists. They're coming to experience music, but also um, our culture more broadly. Um, and so I think that you know maybe uh, even even as we look at tourism uh, as a piece mm. of this conversation and the spaces and places that are relevant for that industry, you know I think there's going there's an opportunity for that to be the sort of conduit to investment um, and in and, and the way that this makes dollars and cents I suppose for for culture to to take in that role. And I think that like you know it, in particular I'm interested in connecting some of what Adam said about, I mean, I take all of those points and I think that connects, your point about the economics of this connects to a point that I want to ask you about related to what Adam said about certain venues closing and the whole range of venues closing. And there's a, there is a geography of middle-class musicianship, which is not the same thing as the geography of, um, of like the tours that like Jay-Z and Beyonce do, right? Or Prince and whoever else. And so it's really like those venues that are taking the brunt of this, that actually support that middle class musician. And I'm just curious about your perspective on that, Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth uh, K1, and then we'll go to Elizabeth Curid. And then I have a question for Theo. Yeah, I think that um, what I am what I am hopeful of is certainly, I think first and foremost, we all just have to uh, have a lot of hope that the majority of our independent venues can even survive this moment. And I think that, you know, once we, we look to the other side and, and the ones that are still standing, my, you know, aspirational thought is that we have to, in, in spite of the fact that these spaces are for-profit businesses, they're not nonprofits, which is what our sort of philanthropic structures in the United States understand how to support. These are not 501c3 mm. organizations. But I think that our cities have to shift the way that we treat them. We have to look at them as cultural institutions, even though they're for-profit businesses. And we have to start using our existing structures, whether it's tax incentives or if it's permitting um, okay. to designation. Other right. kinds of things like that. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Because if we so, don't do that, they're they're gonna go away. I mean, I wish I had a, a rosier thought on what the now looks like, but I think you know we have to just sort of um, cross our fingers and and toes that that the majority of them even make it to the other side. I'm with you. Got to keep it real with that, Elizabeth Curid. You had you had a uh, you had some insights uh, that we're all interested to hear. Well, I. Elizabeth is is absolutely correct that we have a crisis for the arts community because, you know, most of them are not even sustained by their work. So there's there's this kind of, I think, two things going on here. The first is that even the jobs that maybe a lot of them, particularly the young ones just coming out of art institutes, you know, maybe they're working as a barista or they're working in PR part time and then they're or they're freelancing and then they're also doing their their work, their artwork that those jobs have been compromised too. And so you have that problem currently that will, I, I believe, affect um, the future generation of artists. 
The other thing, though, that's going on that I think is really important, and I think it really is analogous to the ICT revolution, you know, when we thought, you know, email and um, and just being able to, you know, talk to each other was was going to somehow mean that we didn't need to be next to each other. I mean, I found this when I talked to artists, you know, why do you, after you graduate from school and you are trying to establish yourself as an artist and right, right now can't really get a job in it, you're not like a lawyer or a newly minted MD where you're just going to land some you know, fairly well-paid middle-class job that in fact, you're really going to struggle. Why do you stay in New York or LA? Or why do you actually go to those places? And what always was told to me by artists is you need to be there. And so the scene for artists, for lack of a better word, but I think really captures it, has a really important economic function for the cultural economy and for cultural industries and the producers within. And so when we talk about the end of cities and COVID, there's no question that there's personal preferences that people have, like they've moved out of New York and they're like, hey, I like this better, or I like spending more time with my kids, or I wanna, there's all sorts of personal things going on. But if we're talking about innovation and the future of the cultural industries, without question, they need to be in the same place to innovate, exchange ideas, to collaborate, to interact with the gatekeepers of their industries. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is going to return because it's je ne sais quoi to the industry. You're talking my language. I mean, my dissertation was called scenography, and it was about the, the scene as an economic unit. And so, like, I'm totally, I'm totally with you on that. Um, no, now, Theo, you know, you're in a very, you're in a different kind of place. Uh, uh, tell me a bit more about this county that you're in. Is it a major metropolis? Is it, uh, you know, what is the population dynamics and 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 sort of contours of the place like? Uh, so, Genesee County. Um is uh, I actually don't live there, but uh, Genesee County is where the city of Flint is located, and the city of Flint is a you know is a major city. Um, how many people there? Uh, you know that's a good question. I don't know off the the uh, top of my head how many people live in mm-hmm. Genesee County, but I feel like it's somewhere around two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand, right. somewhere okay. around there. You know, speaking from you know transformation of space, the city of Detroit. That is, you know, which is what more people will be familiar with. Mm-hmm. They, we've been experiencing that since the 50s, right? So the city of Detroit in 1950, that was the, the highest population they had, 1.8 million. Every mm-hmm. single year since then, it's declined. It's, right. currently, it's currently at around 600,000 people in the city of Detroit. Uh, mm-hmm. They had years where they had 23,000 people on mass exodus for like four or five consecutive years. And what we've seen over the over the process of this is that there's kind of been an ebb and flow of it because while people are relocating to the suburbs, the one thing that that you know if they want to see a Tigers game, they still got to come back to the city of Detroit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and even their favorite venues, they may you know they're saying, "Hey, I love to live out in the suburbs, but for all my entertainment, I still want to come down to the city for all my cultural events, right?" And so we are we are seeing that. The other thing is it's also creating new opportunities because. While there may be some businesses that weren't sustainable and, and may have to shut their doors, when that happens, there's another one that says, hey, there's a great space that I want to I want to uh, hop in. And also some of the prices you know, of, of the, the leases have come down as well. Um, there's been a great resurgence since I'd say about the 2000 era uh, where investors like Dan Gilbert have came in and, and bought up all this right. real estate and, and created all these amazing opportunities. And as a result of that, we've had companies like Microsoft, Amazon and Google all relocate 
some of their headquarters and offices in Detroit. So, you know, so it's not all it's not all bad, as, as I guess is what I'm getting at here. Um, you know, when we talk about, you know, transformation of space. And I'm interested in a little bit more about the dynamic between sort of your county and Detroit. And do you feel as if any of that activity that was in Detroit is going to be moving out to the county? Or do you feel like or do you feel like there's still going to be this uh, gravity that the, that the city of Detroit retains because it's able to attract, you know, more of this kind of investment? And, bec- and, 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 and as you said, there's some sort of economic, you know, there's an economic dynamism that's that's still going on there in the city and a cultural dynamism with all of the clubs and the venues and so on that are still centralized. Yeah. The, so the city of Flint and Genesee County, it's kind of its own little hub. Uh, okay. It's got its own thing going on. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, they have their own, they have you know their own hockey team, the French generals, their, you know, uh, uh, OHL team. Um, hmm. So they have their own entertainment hub there. Uh, they are, they are notoriously known for uh, uh Gentlemen's clubs, it's a, it's a big right. part there. So right. that, believe it or not, that's a big part of their their economic, you know, core. Um, and mm-hmm. so that's actually a big part of my, my research. I have to put that into my project. But uh, well, so, you know, I'm, I'm yeah, sorry but, what they, but what they oh, have right. is this, is that mm-hmm. it's also a big spot for GM and Ford and Chrysler. And as those places have closed down plants and relocated, that's what's kind of driven the relocation for the residents in that area because they have to just go out and seek new jobs. So it's not even a matter of them relocating because they don't want to live in the city. They're relocating out of necessity for survival. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, that then affects the economy within the city. So uh, it's it's very interesting um, dynamic what's going on there. Adam, uh, uh, I'm curious in terms of your research about some of the um, factors that uh, that Theo just brought up, you know, large capital and sort of big business in the city and the relationship between some of some of those sort of larger capital players and the music scene. Is there any is there any of that and and, and how that affects uh, and, and how that sort of, again, the buying up of land, this kind of thing, how it affects the way that the scene is centralized or diffused? I think this what, what this speaks to is something that we've all sort of touched on a bit, but also skirted around, which is the role of cultural policy, which you mentioned, and particularly yeah. around the the uh, you know the crisis that the the pandemic has engendered for smaller and grassroots venues, you know to a certain extent. I mean, in Britain, we the central government uh, has put in an, an unprecedented amount of money into culture, uh, which mm-hmm. really is just kind of life support at the moment. Even at, at sort of city and town level, that is the kind of thing that government can. To consider music and culture in its strategy so that you don't get the, the, the kind of situations where developments fly up uh, and venues get priced out of the market. People can't, you know, their operating costs get too high. I mean, that might be different now a, li- a little bit with if city center prices go down. But historically, that's been a problem in Britain uh, and in other places. You know, issues about managing sound and, and whether sound is seen as a, inherently a problem or a nuisance or as part mm. of culture that makes the city attractive. That's, that's where local authorities can kind of take, take a lead on that, have someone on their uh, committees to, to oversee this and just in, ensure that the grassroots are at least considered. Yeah, that, was, that actually was my job prior, prior to me uh, working at the radio station. And so I agree that, you know, it can, it can have a positive effect. And, you know, I'd like to go over to Elizabeth uh, Cowan. 
to touch on that a little bit, just because we're getting into this conversation about the decisions that cities can make about right now, about the way that culture will flourish or not flourish in the future. And, you know, you work for an agency that has that kind of future focus. And I'm just interested in sort of your perspective on on some of what Adam just said. Yeah, I think that there, you know, obviously COVID has really laid bare some of many of the 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 problems with our arts uh, ecosystem writ large, not just in music. Uh, I think that cities have a great role to play, in particularly in recognizing the ways that we have built our brands and our tourism strategies and our talent attraction strategies for decades off the backs of artists, but we haven't taken um, the necessary steps to invest. Um, and to advocate for and, and protect them. Um, so I think, you know, protect looking for protections for, for venues and cultural like districting is really critical, as I was talking about earlier. I also think that the time is now for cities that don't have a percent for art, uh, for example, or an admissions tax or, you know, some type of funding mechanism to support either an office of arts and culture or just some infrastructure within city government. I think the time is now. But I also think that we have to get creative about how we leverage existing money to support our artists. That's what Music Export Memphis does. We take funding from folks who are interested in talent attraction, economic development, and we give it to artists as tour support and leverage them as ambassadors for our city. Um, We need to think creatively about the existing resources and how we can funnel those to our artists to do what they are already doing. And that, I believe, uh, will be the final word because I think that's the end of our time here. Well, thanks for listening to Amplify Music Conversations. We hope you enjoyed this discussion and come back to listen to our other podcast episodes, either following us in your favorite podcast player or at amplifymusic.org or even on YouTube. And you can find a way to sign up for our email list and join our various groups on Facebook and on LinkedIn. We'd like to thank the Institute of International Business at the University of Colorado, Denver, who sponsors this podcast series, as well as the conference sponsors, Mia, UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music, the Creative Arkansas Community Hub and Exchange, Ben Zugel, Tully, and Lyric Find. We've had great support putting this conference together this year, and we look forward to continuing these conversations with you through this podcast. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.